Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I mean, McGarren with me as always is the guru, Dr. Duncan Castles. Today, we bring you uh, an update from the week's earlier pod on the sensational and dramatic managerial merry-go-round that is happening in the biggest clubs in European football. So, we'll be talking Spurs, Paris Saint Germain, Inter Milan. We'll also be talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and also strikers, Everton, Bruno Fernandes, Manchester United, everything. So, Stick with us and you will be the first in the know. Duncan, we're going to start with Antonio Conte, who has emerged as a front runner for the job at White Hart Lane, uh, having left Inter after one Scudetto, their first in 11 years. There seems to be a feeling that he has become the one and only candidate. However, you have some information and insight into his strategy with regards to where his next job will be. Yeah, let, let's first go back to what Daniel Levy said in his apology to the supporters a couple of weeks ago, um, where he started talking about Tottenham DNA, um, that wonderful word that uh, is used by football clubs throughout England when they are trying to hoodwink, hoodwink their supporters. Um, he said about the appointment of the manager, which they'd been struggling with for some time at that stage, we are acutely aware of the need to select someone whose values reflect those of our great club and return to playing football with the style for which we are known, free-flowing, attacking and entertaining, while continuing to embrace our desire to see young players flourish from our academy alongside experienced talent. He then goes on to offer the job to Antonio Conte, who... um, I don't think is really known for free-flowing, attacking and entertaining football. Um, It can be quite good to watch, but it is structured and it is defensive first and has been most successful as a a counter-attacking system. And um, I don't think he's particularly known for promoting youth either. Um, So that seems to have gone out of the window with Levy in this rush to find someone um, who will be acceptable to the supporters in a period in which um, he's under great pressure because of the sacking of Maurizio Pochettino, the failure, um, having appointed Jose Mourinho, a, a, a manager who wasn't popular with their supporters before arriving, achieved some popularity while, while there and then lost it with, I think, the majority of the Tottenham supporters. Um it is a strange marriage, this one of, um, or proposed marriage, this one of Antonio Conte and Daniel Levy at a time when Tottenham's financial resources are um, stretched, I think, beyond any of the other big six clubs for reasons we 
well know, which is the massive investment, £1.2 billion investment in naming rights lane, which still doesn't have that naming rights, um, that Daniel Levy was expecting to earn at least £20 million a year from. Um, and uh, the, the expected revenue they were supposed to get from the new stadium being stopped by COVID. Um, that resulted in the Mourinho project um, never going down the path it was supposed to go down in terms of investment in new players, a rebuild of the squad and competing for the Premier League title. Um, he now is looking to Antonio Conte, who is... As we've always talked about Conte on this podcast and we've detailed what happened with him at Chelsea, um, the disputes he, he he came into with Roman Abramovich and Marina Granovskaya within his first season at the club, his demands for better players, his demands for a team that can win the Champions League. Same thing at Inter after his first season. Big fight with Inter. Inter were ready to let him go. He threatened to walk out. Inter were saying, okay, fine, if you want to walk out, we've got Max Allegri ready as a replacement. We'll take him. Um, and in the end, uh, a kind of Mexican standoff where Inter couldn't afford to sack him and Conte refused to, to leave without being paid off. They go through a second season, coincides with Juventus falling apart. Um, with uh, an interesting character involved in that, given what, what's going on with Tottenham, what we'll detail in a minute. Fabio Paratici, the director of football there. Um, and uh, at the end of that season, um, Inter up for sale, their Chinese owners wanting to disinvest, talking about selling off a substantial amount of players to, to sort out their books. And Conte saying, I'm not having that. I'm, I don't want to stay here if I can't win the Champions League, if I can't retain the title, I'm going to find another club. Conte then tries to get himself hired by Real Madrid. The idea is floated by Florentino Perez. I'm told that within 10 minutes of the idea being floated, he had calls from 10 different first-team players saying to the president, if Antonio Conte's coming here, I don't want to be at this club anymore. I know what he's like as a coach. I know what he's like to work with. Not interested in that. Conte removed from the list. If you want to go back to uh, our earlier podcast this week, we go through in detail the process in which um, Real Madrid tried to fix a situation where they thought they had Max Allegri, they had a contract agreed with him and he chooses to go to Juventus instead and they end up taking Carlo Ancelotti after a phone call is put into them from Ancelotti uh, and the people around him saying he's available without compensation from Everton to solve your problem. If you know what Conte is and what his, ex his expectation is, then moving him to Tottenham in the situation they're at 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 the moment does not make pragmatic sense. You can see if he does accept that job, a situation where he comes into conflict with Levy very quickly uh, and um, and you, you have the project falling apart very quickly. Now, Levy has, I'm told, offered to take Fabio Paratici, um, who Conte worked with in the past and who, liked, who he likes as a director of football. Uh, and there are discussions going on between Levy and Paratici over that role in order to get Conte to come to the club. Uh, that in itself is a major concession from Levy. Remember that when Mourinho came into the club, he would have liked to have bring, brought a director of football with him. He proposed bringing Luis Campos. Levy was not interested in that. 
and uh, and he went on with the the, the current structure with um, Steve Hitchin as the 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 senior person in charge of recruitment at Tottenham rather than bringing an outside director of football in. But now Levy's prepared to take Paratici to get Conte. The offer's been made. Um, Tottenham are indicating that they are confident that Conte will accept it and they'll be able to announce his um, managership of Tottenham in the coming days. The brief from Conte's camp is there are problems. Um, There are problems over the proposal that Levy has made to them in terms of players and recruitment of new players and building a squad capable of achieving what Levy says he wants and what Conte wants, which is win titles. Uh, There are problems over the salary. Uh, Conte was on 12 million euros net as a basic salary at Inter. Levy has not offered them that. Um, Ian, I think you have some details on the on the structure of, of salary that uh, that Levy's trying to propose to Conte, but it's not one he's particularly happy with. True, Duncan. Um, Conte uh, is used to earning a basic salary in excess of ten million euros net. Uh, my information is that the offer from Tottenham is actually two million euros less than the ten. That's eight million euros net, uh, but that will be balanced up by a bonus. Uh, related system so effectively um, he will be able to build his salary or his earnings up uh, based on qualification for the Champions League obviously winning trophies is another part of it um, as well as finishing higher up the league than where they have this season which has been very disappointing so there is um, a discrepancy which is holding up this particular uh, negotiation Um Conte, as we've already discussed, is a coach who, outside of Juventus, um, has not stayed um, very long at Chelsea or at Inter and therefore prefers to be paid uh, a guaranteed amount uh, because his combative personality often leads him to conflict with the club uh, and with club administrators and he is a flighty personality in terms of his own ambition. If he feels like that ambition is not being recognised or uh, fulfilled, then he will look for another job. And his departure from Inter, having won the Scudetto, is another example of Conte deciding that this is not for me. So that will have, that's an obstacle which has to be overcome, Duncan. Yeah. Um, as well as, I think, the budget for players because Conte is also someone who does his analysis well in terms of prospective jobs and he's looked at the Tottenham squad and he's identified the strengths and weaknesses and asked exactly from Levy, how much money do I have and what will be your commitment strengthening? Yes, and I think from the external uh, perspective, it's easy to see that Tottenham are, is not the ideal pick for Conte. Um, as we said, he tried to get the Real Madrid job. That was rejected by the players and taken off the table uh, by Florentino Perez very quickly. There's one other big job in European football which Conte thinks could open up, and that's Paris Saint-Germain. Um, obviously, Maurizio Pochettino has been trying to get out of Paris Saint-Germain. Again, we've discussed this in, in recent pods, the reason for that. He offered himself to Real Madrid. Madrid took that seriously. Um, 
Paris Saint-Germain responded by activating a clause in, his, in Pochettino's contract to extend it for another year, thereby increasing the cost um, it would have taken for Madrid to compensate PSG to hire Pochettino. The offer came in from Ancelotti. Madrid grabbed that. Pochettino's ambition to take over at Madrid um, has to be put on hold at least uh, for a temporary period, perhaps forever, depending how he does on, on future jobs. Conte is well aware that there is turmoil at PSG that Pochettino would like to get out and is hoping that the, the PSG job will open up in time for him to be able to take that rather than the Tottenham job. And it does not do him any harm at all to have stories running and to have negotiations running with Tottenham uh, that he is very close to taking that job. That would be a standard tactic in this kind of managerial game of poker to prod the club you really want to work for into making an offer. Simultaneous to this, again, something we broke on the, an earlier podcast this week, Paris Saint-Germain are unhappy with Leonardo's performance as director of football. There is um, issues between Leonardo and Pochettino. There are bigger issues between Leonardo and the players. Um, it has not been in Leonardo's favour that he sacked Tuchel and Tuchel went to Chelsea and won the Champions League, the trophy that Qatar covered above all others. Also not been in his favour the way he handled, handled Thiago Silva uh, at the end of last season. Um, very ungentlemanly way in which he talked to Silva about a renewal of a contract and lost eventually lost him to Chelsea again. Uh, Thiago goes on to win the Champions League at his new club. So there's a consideration at PSG that they might need to change director of football. Candidates include Fabio Paratici. Paratici would like that job. If Paratici gets that job, then expect Paratici to propose Conte as the replacement coach. Will he get it? Conte, if he's proposed, well... The players at Paris Saint-Germain, I'm told, are already aware of the prospect that Conte could come in as a replacement for Pochettino and have already made representations to uh, Nasser Al-Khalifi, who is the, the, the senior Qatar figure at the club, that they do not want Conte as their coach. Um, he has such a reputation in football that he has players from two of the biggest clubs in Europe saying, please do not hire this man. We know how he works. We don't want to be working under him. Alternative candidate for PSG, should they choose to sack Leonardo, Luis Campos. They have, I'm understood, contacted Luis Campos over the last few days to assess whether he would be interested in coming to them as a new director of football. Campos, as we've told you, has had proposals from Juventus. He's had proposals from Real Madrid. Um, the Real Madrid proposal, I understand, is still open and a decision has to be made on that. Um, he may, if he doesn't like um, either of the propositions from these two clubs, step away for a longer period from football. But there's a potential that he goes there. The attraction in particular to Paris Saint-Germain of taking Luis Campos is that Campos has an excellent relationship with Kylian Mbappe. He was the man who brought him to Monaco and promoted him at Monaco and, and set him on the path to being you know, the heir apparent to Lionel Messi and, and Cristiano Ronaldo as the, as the best player in the world. Um, the expectation is that if Campos comes in as 
director of football at Paris Saint-Germain, he will be able to persuade Mbappé to stay and uh, and solve the problems they've had with recruitment and solve the problems they've had with a, with a dressing room that um, doesn't work easily with the coaches, the various coaches they've employed to try and win the Champions League. I must admit, Duncan, I'm slightly... Um, I'm not shocked because I've seen it so many times before, but the um, notion of these petulant professional footballers who are very well paid uh, making um, complaints about the idea of Antonio Conte. Yes, he is a sergeant major type. Yes, he's a stickler for discipline. Yes, he is someone who does not suffer fools gladly. But this is also a coach who has won the league uh, at Inter at Juventus, at Chelsea. What do you want to do exactly? Do you want to win the league under a good manager? Or do you want to be pampered and not have to deal with a coach who might ask you to do a bit more physical training than you would personally like? It just seems slightly odd. Well, this is Paris Saint-Germain and, and Paris Saint-Germain are the only club of that type, but the, this is a club which has invested more in their star players than, um, than any club ever, simple as that. And they've, they've handed them an authority uh, through the way they've been dealt with, Neymar in particular over the years, in which they think they have the right to pick and choose which games they play in Neymar's case and, uh, and complain about training, complain about management, complain about everything because they feel they are more important to the club than the coaches. And history shows that to be the case. Um, you're right, Conte has a track record of winning titles, league titles. Um, what he doesn't have is a track record of winning Champions Leagues. And, and I think they do have a, a, a case to make to PSG, uh, to Qatar, that um, what he's done has been on a domestic level. What you want to do is win the Champions League. Is he the right coach? to turn us into Champions League winners or is he just a coach to reassert our authority in France which should come anyway because Lille who've taken the title off us are in the process of selling off their talent um, they're about to lose the coach who was uh, also instrumental alongside Luis Campos in the, that building that team and uh, and putting the tactics together that uh, that took the title off Paris Saint-Germain Christophe Gaultier has told Lille that he's finished um, at the club, I understand he's already accepted an offer from Nice, um, the the club that Jim Ratcliffe, um, who was interested in buying into Chelsea and Manchester United, bought in French football and who's ready to invest a lot of money in turning Nice into the, the principal contenders to PSG uh, in France. The, he has one problem to overcome, which is that he has one year of contract left at Lille. Um, which has a value of 1.5 million euros, and and there is a discussion over how much compensation should be paid to Lille to get Gaultier. Um, but I, I think this is modern football. The the amount of money that's been put into these uh, player hiring and and payment of players and the the status they're given. We talk many times about how social media impact is fundamental and in recruitment decisions by Manchester United, one of the, the wealthiest clubs in the world. Player power is, is greater than it's ever been before. But I think also it, it important to note here that, that Tottenham are not in a simple game of talking to Antonio Conte and trying to meet his demands um, 
for taking over the club and being the next guy to try and uh, win a trophy, um, end the 13-year drought there. They're playing a bigger game where Conte's ideal world, he would be managing another club. Well, Conte to PSG, possibly along with Luis Campos, meaning Pochettino goes back to Spurs, meaning the magical merry-go-round of managers continues to spin. I think, Duncan, we might have to get Noel Edmonds in to do the negotiations in his multicolour swap shop. One other interesting uh, thread to this entire narrative is Cristiano Ronaldo and the possible move from Juventus to Paris Saint-Germain, of course, dependent on Kylian Mbappe going to Real Madrid. Um, Your information, I understand, is that that is a possibility. Yeah, it's it's something that's being worked on. Um, Juventus want to sell Cristiano Ronaldo, or if they can't sell him, um, get him off their, their, their books for the coming season. They need to do that for FFP purposes. They won't state that publicly, but that has been the plan for some time and they've been working on trying to, to find somewhere that is acceptable to Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Allegri's arrival and Allegri being ceded control and authority over transfers has not changed that. Again, my understanding is that Allegri, I, he will not say this publicly, but he would prefer it if Ronaldo's salary is removed from the books and he's able to use that salary in different areas. And Cristiano Ronaldo is not against the move. Um, his representatives have looked at a number of clubs. They've offered him to Real Madrid. Real Madrid, through Florentino Perez, have publicly stated that they can't and won't bring him back at this time. He's been offered to Manchester United. Manchester United's response has been, yes, we are interested, um, but wait and see um, whether we can do that. Hold off. Uh, he's in our, you're in our thoughts, but uh, we're not, they're not progressing it at present, which fits with what we've been telling you about Manchester United's transfer strategy for this summer. They want a centre forward. Uh, they want a midfielder. They want someone at centre back. Uh, they're also looking at right back and they're looking at the right side of their attack. But the fundamental driving force here is how much do the Glazers have to do to appease the supporters um, at a time where they've had unprecedented protest against their ownership of the, of the club. They've been putting work into various deals. Um, we've told you how far they've progressed things with Harry Kane uh, and they want to keep their options open. but. They are, they've not advanced enough for Cristiano Ronaldo to believe that's the mo- most likely place for him to go. If you look at it in terms of a move to appease the fans, I don't think there's a better thing the Glazers could do than bring Cristiano Ronaldo back and make him the centrepiece of the attack. I think also from a commercial perspective, it would be hugely valuable for them, but it will also be very expensive for them to do that. Paris Saint-Germain, I'm told, are the more likely destination of the two. Um, so you can see from that that they, they have progressed things further. A proposal has been one of, if you can't get Lionel Messi, which is, it looks like that is not going to happen now, why not take Cristiano Ronaldo? If you lose Kylian Mbappe, why not bring Ronaldo in to uh, replace him? Interestingly, the guidance I'm getting is that PSG are still insistent that they will not sell Mbappe this summer to Real Madrid, despite Real Madrid's best efforts to recruit him. And therefore, 
the possibility is that Paris Saint-Germain could put together an attack of Neymar, Kylian Mbappe and Cristiano Ronaldo at least for one season. Well, I think we'd all look forward to that, that's for sure. Um, one way to appease Manchester United fans, Duncan, uh, is to uh, get their best player of the past season on an extended contract. You reported on the pod months ago about Fernandez uh, joining United, but also the fact that he was relatively cheap in terms of salary uh, because of where he was coming from. But your information is that United are willing to make him much better paid in order to keep him happy and also keep him at Old Trafford. Yeah, it, this is something that um, Manchester United, I think, have been trying to do for a while is, is extend and Im- improve Bruno Fernandes' contract. And, and the guidance I've had from people close to Fernandes is that they did not want to get involved in those talks. Um, they wanted to see what United were going to do in the market, whether they would build a team capable of winning titles. And, you know, you watch Bruno Fernandes play, you watch him on the football pitch, you listen to what he says. He he is desperate to win and he wants to be in a top team. He, he wants to be winning more than the Europa League. He wants to be competing for the Champions League. So so that side of the analysis from, from, from his part has been, what are they going to do with the team? Um, is there going to be enough around me is there going to be a good enough coaching uh, department that we can compete for the Premier League title and compete for the Champions League? One of the things he would like is for Paul Pogba to stay at the club because he rates him as a talent. They have now begun talking with United over an improved contract. Um, I'm told he's currently paid €9 million Euros gross, which is a very low salary and uh, by Manchester United terms there are there are triggers in that deal where he gets automatic pay rises for for certain achievements but United have plenty of scope to improve his wages um you have David De Gea best paid player in in the Premier League on 15 million net so that gives you an idea of where they can go um to give him a financial deal that satisfies him um, one thing I'm hearing is that uh, perhaps he'll be asking for a clause in, in the contract which prevents Uli Gunnar Solskjaer from substituting him uh, during games. That would be a very interesting clause indeed. <laughs> it certainly would be groundbreaking, that's for sure. We brought you news on the pod earlier this week uh, of the uh, succession potential at Everton after Carlo Ancelotti left to go to Real Madrid. We told you that Nuno Espirito Santo was featuring heavily uh, in the thoughts of Everton. Uh, It certainly is the case that uh, their interest has been taken forward since then, Duncan. And it seems that Nuno is already planning for the potential of taking that job in terms of uh, recruiting some of the players, or at least one player in particular, from uh, Wolves that have done very well for him. Yes, um, Nuno Espirito Santo has already spoken to Everton. Um, my guidance says the interview went well. Uh, Everton told him that he was their preferred choice for the job. However, they have put a hold on things since then and not actually offered him the job, which fits with what's going on in the background in Everton, which is uh, a pretty big conflict over who gets to take authority over the appointment of the next manager. 
Um, you have Bill Kenwright, um, the previous majority owner of the club, who's still on the board, pushing for David Moyes um, or Roberto Martinez, um, two people he has had as Everton managers in the past and who has won one person who's very familiar with Everton's uh, operation says uh, uh, candidates that Bill always pushes for the job. Um, Moyes is in a particularly good place at the moment um, because of the, the great work he's done at West Ham United. Um, and I, I, I think if an offer comes into him, it'll be interesting to see which way he goes because he has, uh, he has good support from West Ham at present. He can use an offer from Everton to leverage further um, uh, spending in the transfer market and and improve that squad. But there's also the emotional appeal of of going back to Everton and, and moving back to the north of England where his, where his family still live. Um, you also have in there Farhad Mashiri, who is the, the representative of Al Sharusmanov, who's the, the main shareholder at Everton. Um, Mashiri is very close um, to Kia Jarabshin. Jarabshin has a lot of influence in this and will be trying, I'm told, to get his own candidate in as manager. Um, Everton's finances are not great and, and this kind of plays into what Nuno wants to know from Everton, which is what degree of spending will he be allowed to do on the squad and changes he'll be allowed to make to the squad should they offer him the job. One individual who's important here is Pedro Neto. Um, Nuno would like to take him to Everton in an ideal world. Everton have been interested in Neto for some time. And the story we broke on the podcast is that Neto is available for sale this summer. Uh, one of a number of players that Wolves have put on the market in an attempt to raise cash um, in order to to reinvest in the team, which um, Bruno Lage will take over, having um, been granted a work permit um, and having been offered that job uh, a couple of months ago, as we, again, a story we've broken the podcast, expectation is that, that Wolves will formally announce Bruno Lage's uh, managership of of uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers next week. Breaking news, as always, brought to us by Duncan Castles, who has been close to the different options available to Ajax goalkeeper Andre Anana, who of course is currently serving a ban for a, an illegal substance. Uh, however, that seems to be the case that he will be available on a very, very cheap deal uh, given his status as both an international and very, very proficient European goalkeeper. Um, Duncan, which Premier League club is in the best position at this moment in time to to recruit Onana and why do they need him? I, I'm not sure they're in the best position and I'm not sure Ajax will let him go for a very cheap deal, but Arsenal have made what is described to me by a, a, a friend at Ajax as a very low offer for Andrea Nana, trying to take advantage, obviously, of that drug ban, um, which is due to run till February. But Anana is uh, challenging in court and is, is hoping that he will be cleared to play football again next season. Um, either way, you can understand why Arsenal are trying to get him. Um, they have not had the best success with Bernd Leno as their goalkeeper. Leno has talked about the possibility of leaving Arsenal. They are, they do want to upgrade in that position. Um, Onana 
is one of the top goalkeepers in European football. Um, interestingly, was a target for Manchester United in the period in which they were expecting David De Gea to, to leave under freedom of contract. They made a substantial offer to Ajax for him, which Ajax rejected at the time. Um, obviously, as an Ajax goalkeeper, he is uh, comfortable playing with the ball at his feet and, and building attacks from the back, which is very much part of Mikel Arteta's philosophy. Um, you can understand why Arsenal are doing this. He, he would be a good fit and he would be a, a substantial upgrade on what they have in defence at present. And they're hoping to exploit um, the, the drug ban in order to get Ajax to sell him for less um, than he is, he's properly worth. And uh, they have sent Matty Ryan, who they took on loan from Brighton and Hove Albion uh, in January, back to the Amex Stadium. So clearly there doesn't seem to be faith in Ryan as a prospective replacement for Leno. Um, also the case that many Arsenal observers, Duncan, have um, questioned the sale of Emmy Martinez, who of course has excelled at Aston Villa. As this is the second podcast of the week, of course, it's time for the star-spangled presentation of this week's Donkey Award. Uh, we are going to dedicate this to the UK's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, who claimed victory and indeed credit for defeating the European Super League proposal. Um, and therefore, uh, we've decided to call this the Boris Johnson Award for Absurd propaganda coming to a club owned tv station soon uh where of course propaganda is the key word uh we're going to uh, just open up the envelope because it will be the case that most of that has come on a sponsored channel there we go Bit of a sticky one, that one, Duncan. Uh, so we have the nominations, and strangely enough, they are all either owners or chairman of big football clubs. First one, Duncan, uh, Caldon Al Mubarak, who this week gave his annual address to the supporters through, of course, the club's own TV channel, where he wasn't going to be asked any difficult questions about anything. However, he was sitting beside the two trophies they won in the Premier League and the League Cup. Um, he has been quite uh, prolific in his promotion of a narrative uh, about Manchester City, which isn't necessarily always factually correct. Second is Joe Glazer, who for the first time since 2005, when the Glazers bought the club, was addressing a fans forum and certain representatives carefully selected uh, today with regards to ESL issues as well as other Manchester United business. And the third is Daniel Levy, who, as we mentioned earlier in this pod, uh, made an apology to Spurs fans for losing sight of what he called, and this makes your skin creep, Tottenham's DNA. Uh, Duncan, over to you. Look at that's that's a very strong um set of candidates there. Um 
we've already commented on Daniel Levy and DNA and the promise on who the next manager will be and the the offer to someone who clearly doesn't fit the the promise that was made by Daniel Levy. Um, but Joe Glazer speaking to the supporters after 16 years um, of complete silence because of the Super League catastrophe. Um, but only speaking to the fans forum that is obviously something that Manchester United have authorised but but managing to get out and uh, and be credited for for uh, having the bravery to talk to uh, Manchester United supporters and on some media platforms I think that's quite a successful bit of propaganda in itself but I think you have to give this to Manchester City uh, and Abu Dhabi Khaldun Al-Mubarak, a senior politician in the country, um, chairman of, of Manchester City, probably the most important individual in on the planet, I think, to be a chairman of a football club, given how, how high he is in the government of, of Abu Dhabi. You don't normally see people who are central to decision-making of, of a state running a football club on, on the side. But... Um, yeah, I think they have to win it because they've managed not only in this project to advertise their country and um, one of the initial reasons why they bought Manchester City was the idea that you could put Abu Dhabi in the media on a regular basis. Um, every time the club played uh, names on shirts and in the background and talking about their ownership and, and get a, an advertising potential that was far, far above what you would achieve just by spending the same amount of money and it is a, a very substantial amount of money on buying advertising for Abu Dhabi. So that's one part of it. But they've also managed to um, get a group of supporters defending the political structure of a country um, on social media, um, on in personal conversations on a, on a regular basis when it is a, uh, a very difficult um, political structure, um, difficult way of handling people. Um, it's, it's basically a, a monarchical system with no democracy, um, with uh, multiple accusations of, of human rights abuses. Um, but they've they've managed to build themselves a group of of supporters, and and this is by no means every Manchester City supporter, but a substantial number of them who will who will defend Abu Dhabi, um, because they have made Manchester City winners of of multiple Premier League titles, but still no Champions League title. So is it likely in the future we'll see Matt Hancock as chairman of Barcelona or Accrington Stanley? <laughs> And the importance, of course, of the Transfer Window podcast is that we have brought you the news before it becomes news today. Uh, please get, uh, give us an eye. Uh, if you've heard, liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and get in touch with us through our social media platforms at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Duncan's on at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. This has been the Transfer the Podcast second pod of the week. We'll be back next week. And until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.